Hello and welcome to the DPDL Talent Development Podcast brought to you by Double Pass. I'm your host Sarthak Dubey and this is a show where we talk about grassroots football picking the brains of some of the leading experts in the field of talent development. On today's episode we welcome one of India's most qualified and knowledgeable football coaches. He's got a UEFA A license and is currently doing his AFC Pro license course in Chandigarh. He's got an impressive coaching CV having worked at some of the top football organizations and academies in the country. The likes of Tata Football Academy, Bengaluru FC where he worked as the head of youth, the I League second division team FC Bengaluru United where he worked as the head coach and most notably as the head of player development at the All India Football Federation. It was in this role at AIFF where he designed and conceptualized a revolutionary plan for Indian football. This plan is known as Baby Leagues, also known as Golden Baby Leagues today. Prior to this, the importance given to grassroots level competition in India was very scarce. It was his ideas and his vision that inspired hundreds of baby leagues across the country, whether it was in Goa or in Maharashtra. or in Manipur or right here in Bangalore even the double pass development league he's a mentor he inspires us every day and for me he's the reason i'm sitting here today doing this job that i so passionately love i'm delighted to welcome richard hood on today's podcast so richard uh, welcome to the dpdl talent development podcast um, you know we are extremely honored to have you uh, on the show and uh, i think one of the main reasons why i wanted you on you know to come on to this podcast is because to me and every time i i talk about dpdl to 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 anyone right what i mention is uh, i've taken a lot of inspiration from your ideas uh, a lot of mentorship from you as well over the last few years uh and i think it was uh if if there's anyone who who epitomizes talent development uh i think it's you today in 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 football and it's uh, it's it's really an honor to have you on the show thanks arthur so richard it was i think in 2016 when i really got to meet you for the first time properly in, in a proper setting it was at calcutta in uh, the fifa youth course uh, which was uh, the instructor was frederick roy uh, Roy Miller I think and you were assisting him and it was on that course when I you know for the first time witnessed your presentation on Indian football and uh, the the eye opener as we call it you know which basically busted a lot of myths about talent development it opened our eyes on uh, you know how far back Indian football is compared to the developed football world right and with a lot of stats with a lot of um you know ways of uh ways of looking at football that we had not looked at in the past and i think that's the first time uh i started thinking about it that hey these are the problems that indian football faces 
and of course after my studies that's the first thing that i was you're the first person i met right after my course uh, you know to to understand how we can look for solutions together and when you inspired me and rajat about the leagues and and the importance of the leagues i think that's that's the reason why we're sitting here today right so a big thank you uh, for that uh, but for you right let's let's begin with this what is talent development in in the most simple terms possible what is talent development for you i think it's a journey that you put any player through uh, right from the time they walk into a club or under the guidance of a coach uh, let's just say you uh, you start with the basics of what exactly is your perception of talent i think it differs from different people in within the same organization you've got 10 coaches regardless of whatever curriculum they have in place uh, you talent development or let's say talent uh, how they describe talent is going to be different but uh, i mean it's a opportunity for any player boy or girl coming into a sport to express themselves through a certain degree of uh, let's say competency or uh, just sort of being involved in a process that makes them better makes them improve and that's where talent sort of kicks in in terms of what can you pick up between let's say uh, you have genetics at one end and you have the environment at the other end and the interaction of that so usually they say the environment amplifies or multiplies uh, talent or genetics whatever you have as a disposition the more you get exposed to an environment the more you uh, grow up within certain ideals you grow up within a certain culture grow up within a certain sport any sport for that matter uh, that's what uh, talent development it's a interaction between let's say your uh, predispositions your individuality within the environment that you grow up in and at the end of it you get a talent i mean per se okay okay so uh, when we when we speak about talent development at the grassroots level right and here i'm i'm bringing this back to the the kind of people that we interact with on a daily basis which is parents coaches and players uh, who come to dpdl who play matches week in week out um uh, you know how should they look at this journey you, you describe this as a journey of a player entering uh, at a certain age and then you know interacting with with you know various uh, various various things in the environment uh so how should these in 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 simple terms right how should a parent look at talent development today like what what should their aim be uh, when they see that their child is enjoying the sport right uh, how should they look at this journey of talent development i guess as a starting point most parents are looking at it from a recreational point of view as in they want the kids to experiment with a certain sport they respond to it i mean uh, the response that the kid provides in terms of wanting to go back to a particular sport wanting to improve wanting to move on to a better club better coach a uh, different setting so i think parents uh, sort of accompany that journey and uh, one big factor in it is that i mean uh, i think a lot of parents uh, they try to look at it like the academic uh, pathway in terms of let's just say time invested in the process in relation to the improvements that i enjoyed uh, i mean that is, there is no correlation there is no linear way of uh, sort of looking at it so maybe you and me at the age of 12 uh how you respond to a certain training both of us in the exact same program same coach uh, same time we check in and things what you take away from the program what i take away from the program is going to be very different so i think uh, one thing is you need to let the player grow within the environment that he is being subject to within the competitive uh, ideals that he is being subject to and then again i think the, these are factors that the parents can't really hide away from because as a parent if you're ambitious as a parent if you're uh, let's say a bit more of a hands off approach that will uh, that will sort of dictate the let's say the communication that you have with the kid 
and this is something that coaches really don't see so the pressures that the kid is under in a subliminal way in a easy going manner i mean at the end of the day the parents play a big part because um, unlike school where they are away for about 5 6 hours they find their own way within those within that setting you mo- you most likely have parents waiting around there for the training sessions to get done or the games to get done and then they drive back and parents have a very um, over over bearing uh, let's say opinion of what's going on for those two hours and for those uh, one hour and things so i guess uh, um, they need to balance it a bit um, i mean if that's where the question is coming from let the kid enjoy it uh, let the coaches take charge let the environment take charge if he's uh, developing valuable relationships with his teammates i mean let that become the center of uh, why you're doing it for them and minute you get these indicators of uh, let's say uh, he's expressing himself in a better manner i mean uh, showing far more competencies in the other i mean that's when the parent kicks in i mean uh, are you going to uh, take things for the way they are right now because what you see at the age of 12 might not be what you see at the age of 16 what you see at the age of the 60 uh, at the age of 16 you won't get at the age of 19 so it is not linear i mean if you're going to take it match day to match day or just one or two training sessions and uh, you apply all of these uh, social injustices that the coach doesn't value my kid and all of that i mean most likely the kid is really happy with whatever is going on and minute you start to have a overbearing uh, uh, let's say influence on how the kid should be feeling about the environment your coach is useless uh, don't listen to him and uh, things like that i think uh, that's where you sort of need to take a few steps back and uh, if i mean if the point is to give them a um, escape or give them a more balanced lifestyle like you want to balance their social life you want to balance their academic life as well as their sporting uh, interaction then it needs to be a balanced approach across all fronts and uh, not that because sport is a i mean in terms of the time limits you have control over it you have overbearing uh, influence on how you expect them to think and behave or what sort of opinions they form about the people that uh, make up those one or two hours uh, per session i think that's where i think parents should take a step away and let it, let the interaction uh, be centered around the kid one of the things i took from this uh, and very key point you said is every child uh, the, the context of every child is different every child develops differently their environments are different uh, so obviously comparing kids just because you're uh, like you said if if a child is doing great at 12 may not be doing the same in, in a few years time um, do uh, you know but there does come a point where parents become a bit uh, when they do see talent when they do see an opportunity that okay this my kid is good i really do want to to go another level uh, with with this child you know i want to support uh, you know support his growth his or her growth in in another in another way i i mean some of them we see they go extreme measures at the age of you know 8 9 10 where they are already looking at opportunities in europe mm-hmm. they're looking at opportunities abroad uh, for their kids um like how important do you think it is to trust the environment that the child is already developing in and you know plucking them from that and putting them somewhere else do you think it it really helps like would going to spain uh, for a 10 year old for a 12 year old even for a 14 year old going to spain or going to a germany settling there do you think it's it's helpful has it do you think it's worked there needs to be a point of confirmation now as in if the club or uh, the entity in germany number 1 or whichever country it is spain uh, belgium netherlands or whatever it is if they have a elite program running and you tick those boxes as in you're equal over there then maybe it makes a bit of sense but even in those best of best environments you're looking at less than uh, 0.05% chances of success so even if you put yourself through that whole journey from the ages of 8 9 10 let's say you go on your 11th birthday you last the journey and it's the chances of you being involved in the game as a professional at the highest possible level in a good top 5 league is going to be less than 0.05% 
because I mean once the world opens up let's say Europe alone I mean FIFA has got restrictions now at the age of 18 till the age of 18 nobody else there's no transfer of talent till the age of 16 there's no transfer of talent within Europe so many times you'll find that the Croatians are making up the ranks of uh, Ajax and PSV Eindhoven at the ages of 16 when the first phase of the immigration play immigration takes place at the age of 18 you've got boys coming in from Japan uh, you've got boys coming in from Argentina Brazil coming in filling up those reserve team places so it's a constant testing of uh, where exactly do you lie and uh, parents again i mean you see it in within the indian context as well they want to move away from the mud ground they want to move away they are looking at the brochures so the brochure says that okay they've got nutrition they've got yoga they've got a swimming pool and all of that and they believe that's uh, possibly the, the edge that's going to make the kid uh, far better whereas i mean they might have ignored the fact that the coach who's there in the on that mud pitch with limited equipment and all of that is excellent and possibly the best thing uh, possible for the player right now in terms of i mean uh, coming through with his talent or fulfilling the existing uh, potential in that uh, particular phase of uh, development because again the requirements from the environment will change in terms of your physiological growth once you need that extra bit of uh, let's say uh, guidance uh, physiologically uh, you need uh, some sort of mental tempering you need to be surrounded by more high performing uh, elite athletes around you so maybe that makes a difference but uh, i think a starting point should be are you elite in india right now regardless of this whole nonsense that goes on with age cheating and all of that elite is elite i mean talent uh, whispers sometimes it screams but uh, the indicators are always there and parents need to be quite aware and the whole thing of um, indian coaches are no good the indian environment is not any good uh, uh, we need to go abroad and uh, give him a better future but almost i think 9 out of 10 times or let's just say it might yeah 9 out of 10 10 out of 10 times all these kids who have left our shows they've come back now not everybody has made it professional and even of those who spent 4 5 years over there barely uh, i think about uh, 11 12 of them are involved in uh, let's say isl i league and i league 2 level guys who've gone to spain i mean we've seen a whole bunch of them play bdfa league la- last season and uh, i'm not talking about from a financial point of view but uh, if somebody else has taken advantage of, of the environment to an extent where you're sharing the pitch with them exact same age uh, same sort of uh, development journey but maybe you all went your own way at the age of 15 16 17 but at the age of 21 if you find yourself playing for the exact same team uh, that's something that the parents need to calculate because this is not a sure shot we're talking uh, really fine margins and once push comes to shove you have to be the absolute best to get a contract i mean beyond the point the development journey the is not a placement thing where okay if you don't get a job after your bachelor's maybe you go and do a masters and uh, build up your resume over here you have to be competing you need to be seen in uh, in important settings you need to be contributing to a competitive season because you're developing a very uh, let's say a niche a tiny percentage of players right so uh, to think that okay we'll take them away and then bring them back to india is going to sort of change the fortunes i mean uh, that sort of thinking doesn't really always click uh, nor do i think it's uh, very financially viable also if you can afford it it doesn't create a dent in your pocket you're all in it i mean uh, it's just one life and i mean all of those ideals that is just the one kid that we've got and uh, we'll do anything for him then great but not at the expense of maybe let's say denying your second born or third born similar opportunities should they express their talent somewhere else because um it it costs you that much or uh, or you may, it it can't turn out to be go the other way as well you spent this x amount of money and the kid doesn't make it you're one injury away from not making it as well then what happens to the relationship i mean are your investments uh, dispensable enough to sort of maintain that interaction as well that it all goes down the drain so i mean you need to calculate the journey of a player as well what if he falls in, out of love with the game at the age of 18 i mean whatever you saw that 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 sheer love for the game and everything that was there at the age of 12 13 that you thought okay let's bank in on this uh, send him overseas and at the age of 18 he can't really be uh, that bothered with uh, continuing in the game i mean those dynamics and there's nothing to show for it 
let's say you drop out of school at the uh, 10th and 12th you still have your 10th certificate you still have your 12th certificate to build up from but you fall out of the game at the age of 18 there's nothing to sort of uh, you repair your leg or you uh, want to come back to it you i mean you're you're playing with time in terms of that so i guess uh, it it's, it has to be a very careful consideration that parents need to make right right i'm very interesting what <laughs> these thoughts i'm sure the parents when they listen to this uh, you know some of these things will give them perspective of course a lot of them are doing the right things as well it's not like uh, you know we're we trying to um, uh kill the dream that's that's not what what we're trying to do of course if the dream is there and the parents can uh, afford it and they can support it great uh you know uh, but obviously nev- never kill the dream that's so so richard uh in 2016 when you just started off uh, was it 2016 when you started with the IIF yeah. uh, uh in in the head of uh, you development uh, role right so starting then uh, we are 6 years uh, from there now 6 uh, to 7 years almost and where do you think the ecosystem is in these where has the ecosystem moved in the last 6 years uh do you see changes do you see that the message that you wanted to bring out there of of you know the importance of leagues the importance of of hyper local grassroots environments popping up uh, within cities within uh, hotspots uh do you see changes uh, and if not what is the ideal ecosystem for you and how far are we from it like when i joined the federation in 2016 the main part of the job description was that come up with a national uh, development plan something that uh, will be spread all, all across the country and things and i'd seen a prototype of it and uh, started studying a lot of them as in what uh, new zealand had come up with what uh, both the islands had come up with i mean they're quite public with the documentation and the whole point was that maybe that's not something that india needs because uh, we'd seen these documentations come up in the past uh, we've seen clubs uh, hold on to really uh, voluminous uh, development plans and things and what actually happens really wasn't there so a big point of the curiosity was that uh, what exactly is it that uh, we aren't doing that the rest of the countries are doing and uh, the main po- point of uh, reference was that let's study the childhood of many of the players in countries that have a socio economic reality as uh, like us because minute we get a eurocentric approach then it's going to be that we need flood lights we need 3g pitches everywhere and there's no development without it so uh, sergio aguero's uh, i mean uh, autobiography messi's uh, whatever articles you read about cavani uh, about um, with the chilean guy arturo vidal and all of these guys if you read about it a big thing came up that these guys were competing from a very young age you're talking upwards of 50 games a season age appropriate uh, formats uh, coming in there uh, you really didn't uh, i mean the the environment itself sort of uh, triggered these uh, sensibilities in terms of we have to win at all costs we have to uh, i mean and that's not something that is portable you can't um, import a mentality and expect it to sort of click over here but i mean just the sheer volume of games and then um, try to figure out what's iran doing what's uh, japan doing what's happening in korea then you look at the school systems over there that take up a bulk of the player development so i mean if you look at it uh, bare bones and uh, to be called a elite academy or let's say a, a high performance program or uh, to be called accredited academy licensed academy and things the main difference is it's the people the players interaction with the coach on a football pitch what happens in those two hours that you meet each other or let's say eight hours per week however frequent the training sessions are so whether it's happening on a japanese school ground whether it's happening at uh, real madrid uh, let's say academy whether it's happening in a mud pitch in uh, south america the kids are adhering or responding to certain ideals in terms of okay uh, we've got training sessions leading to a game and you read about all of these guys i mean like suarez's book is quite uh, descriptive about his uh, youth journey saying the coach used to make us uh, the run for the sake of it we were doing 10 laps 
and then uh, as soon as it, i would uh, wait for the training session to get done because we never played and go and play with my friends and that's why he developed that whole thing of uh, using the opponent's uh, shin shins as a rebound i mean that's one of his tricks right like he uses it as a one two with the opponent's legs and things so he said that's where i learned that tricks and and uh, all of them i mean uh, dibala all of, i mean if you just start trickling down and understanding what's really making up their journey it was these uh, matches that uh, they spoke about to the extent where they thank this system for the national standing and producing these players and uh, and that's where i mean the, then the counter of it was what curriculum are these guys adhering to okay fine i mean you've got these volume of games and things and by and large is missing so even fifa came up with a do- document recently about uh, being competitive uh, bridging the gap between uh, countries I, I on that. I oh okay on that. oh good yeah. stuff yeah. yeah i think double pass uh, featured prominently on that and when they spoke about the difference between uh, countries ranked between 1 to 20 20 to uh, 50 and then 50 to 100 Uh, many of the ones in 1 to 20 didn't have a written uh, player development program or a curriculum yeah. many of them didn't have it and that's why you see maybe it's the ecosystem that's taking care of it as in how let's let's just take spain for example how bilbao develops its uh, develops its players how barcelona does it how valencia does it is in stark contrast with each other because yeah. you're looking at historical context you're looking at uh, Uh, cultural context that shape the players i mean uh, what sort of players they want to produce but it, it is efficient in producing players at, uh, in amongst the most uh, valued leagues in the world and for a top 5 uh, uh, nation in the in fifa rankings and things so i mean uh, so we have a mismatch on two fronts one is that uh, if you're talking about what should the ideal ecosystem look like one is we don't have the volume of games and regardless of whatever we want to talk about should it be win at all cost should it be development oriented should we have silent sidelines should we have coaches barking at them regardless of all that we just don't give these players the uh, let's say the game interactions that are necessary to develop i mean i would say that in terms of it should be 70 30 that uh, you train 70% of the time you compete uh, 30% of the time and let's say across a 10 month calendar for every three sessions uh, you've got one uh, game to work towards but uh, i mean unless you have the volume of games across a long frequency i mean uh, across a long duration so our entire player development ecosystem is uh, shallow and narrow both shallow in terms of uh, let's say the number of teams and uh, kids that are engaged and narrow in terms of the let's say the the depth of interaction that the players can get so i mean all these uh, let's say quick shot uh, tournaments three games five games eight games 10 games uh, that make up the development history of our players and even at a very later age i mean kids overseas are they know what it's like to put on a jersey what the badge means what a teammate uh, represents what what it is like to shake hands with the coach to enter into a setup the whole uh, walking through a tunnel if you go to youtube you'll see post game interviews of mascarano messi at the ages of uh, 9 and 10 the te- television channels have come in and things uh, coming in interview and it's like uh, for whatever it is worth you are inculcating these uh, certain values over there and the so they are growing up with that and god knows what the licenses are of the people messi's first coach was his dad second coach was his uncle suarez's first coach was his uncle so i mean what licenses have these guys got but it's just the fact that you have this routine where i go to school i have my neighborhood friends and i i am preparing for this uh, game on the weekend and that's all that, uh, that sort of channels into it. so you have a very balanced upbringing as well in india what happens is everything shuts down just for that one sport to take place because it's in that tiny block of 8 weeks 6 weeks and we have to play a game every uh, other day and things like that especially at the younger age groups and that's where the adults start to make it more about them than the kids because we don't have this uh, let's say uh, psychological uh, endurance to see the whole uh, season through so i think ideally let's just say india right now the ecosystem wise we need to get hyper hyper local that is uh, not even state wide but let's just say bangalore needs to represent the volume of uh, interaction that maybe a city like montevideo does which is about i think 35000 kids 
playing uh, leagues from the ages of uh, 5 to the age of uh, 13 and it's not uh, dual age bands either so you have under 5 under 6 under 7 under 8 under 9 single, single, single age band yeah. uh, uh, tournaments so i think that's one big factor that we need to uh, cash in on um, let's say uh, coach education needs to be diversified further for people who don't really want aspire to move on further but love working with the kids can give them a uh, experience better than any let's say a or b license coach possibly can just because the sheer intent with which why they bring themselves to come in and coach them i mean that sort of personality will put us in a far better disposition than having these uh, fancy resumes on the sidelines and uh, people who will move on in a couple of years i mean kids need to see those faces over and over again and maybe the club needs to hold on to these valuable people uh, within the community as volunteers or whatever capacity they uh, feel that they should come in so i think uh, from a communal or not communal but community uh, volunteer structure wise we need to amp up that and just the sheer volume of the season i mean uh, even now i mean if if the japanese kid is getting 50 games a season from the ages of 5 6 7 you do the maths we by the ages of 10 11 12 we are about uh, 250 to 300 games behind them so how are we going to bridge that? Then we have the residential programs that say that we train twice a day, 10,000 hour rule, which has been dismissed uh, enough and more times across the years. So we try to bridge these gaps in terms of, we feel that, I mean, um, the ecosystem also is a very age appropriate uh, factor, right? I mean, you need to have certain experiences under your belt at the ages of six, seven, eight, the way you learn to move, developing your running mechanics, developing your technique, uh, developing your ability to scan the pitch while controlling the ball, while under pressure. So all of these things, the ecosystem is a very, uh, let's say, delicate age appropriate experience uh, delivering uh, mechanism or system that the kids need to experience. And there's no way of undoing it. So what we see right now with uh, people amping up the older age groups because it's easier to coach, it's easier to manage uh, kids at an older age. Uh, I think uh, the longer we continue with that, we are going to see similar circumstances with what the realities of Indian football are because the catch-up race starts at the ages of 5, 6, 7 for under whatever uh, uh, social, cultural uh, norms you want to look at. But I mean, the race starts over there and uh, we are losing year on year by sort of delaying uh, what it should actually look like. So you were talking about the environment and so my, my question was, uh, do you think uh, things have moved? And based on your answer, uh, should I infer we are still there and there's still lots more to do? Uh, do you see the pace that you had probably envisioned at 2016 that, okay, through the Baby Leagues project, uh, we'll be able to roll out uh, a lot more kids playing football at a hyper-local level. Do you think it's been moving at the right pace or um, there's, there's work still to do? I think we have to look at with the context of this whole lockdown and uh, football pretty much shutting down. Yeah. If professional football suffers, then the kids suffer more than anybody else. I mean, there's zero activity there. But uh, I mean, the numbers for the proportion of uh, people that we have, let's just take the footballing population into consideration. Uh, it can be a lot more. I don't know if uh, it's happening in an informal manner also, as in people just sort of organizing pickup games and all of that. But I think there will be a strong cultural shift in a few years. I mean, a lot of people our age... Uh, um, I don't know the age difference is maybe six years and things, but a lot of people in their uh, let's say mid twenties to uh, mid forties, a lot of them have gone, uh, grown up watching the Premier League, La Liga, Serie, and uh, that's be that being the favorite sport in a bigger city. So you look at Bombay, you look at uh, Bangalore, Chennai, Calcutta. Calcutta obviously has a really strong culture, but you will get a lot of parents who have sort of connected with the sport in a very different way. A whole generation of them, and the way they'll choose to sort of direct their uh, kids' interests into coming into the game and maybe the guidance that they might get at home, uh, the whole Tom Bay theory of football uh, starts at home. We will see a switch over there in terms of um, more people being willing to subject the kids to uh, or let's say uh, involving the kids in a year-round uh, football program that involves games as, as much as uh, training. 
and i think the real shift will come in is let's just say the academic institutes because i think that's where um, i mean the more the biggest untapped uh, resource that we have schools with football grounds that are empty from let's say sun uh, sunrise till uh, the assembly starts and from the time the school gets done till sunset and if you add floodlights to that then you're looking at a totally different uh, so if we get good coaches into that ecosystem like uh, i mean schools that have traditionally valued the sport more than cricket more than any other sport and things i mean right now they are producing uh, a bulk of bombay players for example but minute we get that across all major cities in india with parents who have uh, football as a preferred sport growing up i think that will be a big shift but if you asking about circumstances right now where exactly it should be what exactly it should look like i think any progress right now you should thank for it but i mean it's a big uh, bad habit that we have is uh, it's better than before it's better than nothing i mean those are the baselines that we constantly uh, measure our achievements and accomplishes uh, accomplishments against that pehle se better and is better than uh, nothing sort of mentality and that's what uh, gives us a whole bunch of i mean a chunk of uh, baby leagues now uh, operating on uh, let's say six game and that's a league i mean just ticking those boxes i think minimum is 7 and if people need to sort of uh, see what exactly can they do nobody is sort of pushing for the 21 game uh, season and forget the benchmark i mean baseline is 7 benchmark is 21 who's out there to sort of push it up to 40 games a season uh, getting people together and uh, subjecting them i mean minute i think the stakeholder mentality shifts that is we get a lot more people uh, coming forward to maybe not run uh, clubs because we get a lot of that and then they get dissuaded they get discouraged and they don't want to be involved in the game anymore but minute we can convince uh, strong corporates that uh, your brand can influence the life of 1500 kids 2000 kids competing and they'll do their own training and bit but uh, when they come to the ground is going to be something that's organized by you presented by you i think uh, minute we get that mentality of stakeholders then we'll see a real churn as in people who genuinely value uh, let's say player development and all they can possibly do is run a league and whatever sort of uh, comes in and fills up around that i think these two shifts will be quite crucial that um football uh, favoring parents as well as corporates who see engagement in terms of player development from a competition platform point of view i think that will make a big shift for us since you have good insight uh, in in the talent development space right you've been working in player pathways for for a while now um you know when we see the environment at uh, dpdl for example where we've got a 22 game season uh, uh, at the bare minimum that we push for of course we want to increase that as we get more teams uh, because of the pandemic we we got a limited number but we expect that number to go higher in the in the coming year or so uh, a lot of parents ask us a lot of coaches ask us about game formats right now obviously we follow this kind of uh, a ladder approach where it's 5v5 for the younger ones as you grow 2 years older it's a 7v7 then a 9v9 and then at the age of 14 is when we are we kind of introducing them under 14 under 15 is where we are introducing under uh, 11 aside football to them so a lot of parents because they do play in other tournaments they play in other leagues around uh, you know around the state as well where they are told to play in in a in a 11 aside environment uh, at the age of 11 or 12 mm-hmm. you know uh, so the parents come in and question us that hey there's a mismatch why is your league doing 9 aside where is my kid should be playing 11 aside you know this is it's bad for him and these are some of the the words that we we hear it's bad for him or uh so what do you have to say to on this concept you know are game formats important at the age of uh, is 11 aside ga- uh, game format important at the age of 11 12 if you can delay it how far can you delay it and and by delaying it are there any benefits uh, or really is it bad for the kids that's the question I wouldn't say bad but I mean you need to take it into co- context of kids playing adult uh, format of the game 
so i mean scalability is a big factor in uh, player development you can't subject uh, or stress the kids with uh, adult expectations especially in terms of dimensions ball size and uh, things like that and also for parents i mean the world is moving towards small sided games I mean, all the development uh, all the let's say advanced uh, development countries are delaying the 11 aside format increasingly now because at the end of the day if we sort of start to boil out the game the essence of it is going to be one v one interactions that will take place or maybe uh, small interactions two v two two v threes in a small part of the pitch and to recreate that in a 11v format i mean a full a full format with 11 12 year old kids the intensity with which it's going to take place as an adult Let's just say that the running output is increasing now. The amount of pressure, how quickly an interaction is created in a adult uh, game, is going to be far quicker now. I mean, like if these kids are 11 today, by the time they're 21, by the time they receive the ball, the sort of pressure, intensity of attention that they'll get from an opponent, or for the matter, for that matter, I mean, going and confronting somebody if they have the ball, these sort of interactions are going to come up far more frequently, far quicker with far more quality. I mean, people will get fit. I mean, that's where the sport is headed. And uh, minute you subject these 11, 12-year-olds uh, to a large format, where by the time you receive the ball and your opponent doesn't really have that sort of physical capacity to create those interactions, whether it is collectively, individually, you are not going to experience the game in the sort of frequency that you require. So I mean, uh, chaos, uh, asymmetry, all of it is a huge factor in player development because. No matter how good your training sessions are, what happens in a game, and that's the joy of the game as well. I mean, there's no way of predicting. I mean, absolutely no way of predicting how games unfold just because of the uh, willpower, intent, uh, whatever factors that uh, make up uh, the 90 minutes or whatever it is for the kids. There's no way of predicting that. And the second, uh, you see a certain team dominating the 11 aside format is not good for the team dominating, nor is it good for the team that is uh, maybe struggling to put up. So uh, I mean. Uh, Let's just say, from a development point of view, the mental faculties, let's just say, the decision making, the automaticity that you want the players to develop at a later age group, unless they are facing these game interactions repeatedly. I mean, constantly, each match day is about um, making quicker decisions, uh, playing quicker, getting rid of the ball quicker, uh, closing down quicker, whatever it is. I mean, uh, speed is going to be such a big factor, and then your technique is only useful in high intensity pressure situations, thinking clearly, executing clearly under intense pressure, under chaos. And that's what the 11 uh, side format is uh, sort of hinting towards. I mean, you need to perform in those uh, interaction uh, dynamics. So, minute you start to, uh, let's say, the, the kid who is great at the 11 v 11 format at 11, 12, 13, minute everybody else is the same size, same speed, uh, same uh, competency levels, but they've developed in a smaller side format. I would bet nine out of ten times those kids in the longer term have already developed these faculties. They're they aren't. Uh, Struggling to meet up with the scale scalability of the sport because it's that as you mentioned, it's every two years that you're, uh, I mean, increasing the pitch size and things. So as they grow within the game, how they adapt to the increased spaces, having to kick the ball harder to cover longer distances, and all of that is going in line with their phys physiological development. So you're not really getting a phase where the kid sort of lets go and uh, suddenly surprised that everybody is as good as me. I mean, you're delaying that as well, and you're developing the right appropriate skills that you require under pressure. Within the smaller formats as well, which will unfold in the 11v uh, 11v 11 format at a appropriate time. So there's no way of sort. There are no shortcuts. I mean, if the 11v 11 format is supplementary, let's just say you're playing uh, 80% of your games in an age-appropriate manner, and uh, these tournaments, for whatever reasons, they continue with uh, full size. Even if uh, they, I mean, there should be a little bit of consideration of maybe make it box to box, reduce the width of the pitch, reduce the length. But even if that's happening. Uh, I think that's okay, but if it's just 11v11 and a few guys are doing a good job of uh, continuing with it and contributing, let's say 22 games uh, 
through the platform, I mean, the comp competition platform that you all have figured out for the kids. And I think that will always, uh, I mean, they might go and enjoy the 11v11 game also. And uh, but I mean, if the bulk of the games are being secured in this format, I think there's no need for changing it or to really question it as such. So Richard, you've you've had a, a a pretty long journey now as as a coach as well uh, at some pretty decent uh, places in Indian football. You know, all the way from Tata Football Academy, uh, the BFC, uh, the BFC role that you had, and obviously building the whole ecosystem with FCBU that that you were doing. Uh, you know, when we look at the new uh, you know the new era of of Indian coaches who are coming in, especially at the grassroots level, the ones who want to enter the sport for the first time. Uh, a lot of them, like you said, are interacting with, they're watching the Premier League, they're watching the Bundesliga, they've, they've grown up uh, seeing the glam around that and, and they believe, yeah, that's, the glam is, is, is what really brings them into, into coaching originally, right? But how about you, uh, you know, talk a little bit to us about what the reality of being a football coach is uh, at the highest level, uh, you know. I'll start with uh, what happened with my first job. So it was with uh, this, uh, it's FC Madras now, but back then it was Mahogany FC. So we are talking about uh, picking up uh, scrap uh, construction material and making hurdles out of them. I mean, like bending it into shape to make those agility hurdles and things, uh, getting pieces of wood, tying it to a rope. And I mean, we thought uh, that was coaching, right? Because we'd seen all these uh, videos and all of that. So we have to have uh, hurdles and things. It wasn't available also as in uh, within the marketplace and stuff. It was uh, difficult to get hold of. So, I mean, if talking about struggles, that was one part of it. When I'd gone to Vasco Sports Club, this guy, Kannan, who's now uh, assistant of uh, the India under 16 team with Vivian, every single day, 24 footballs, over here, your cones and markers here, hand pump, and he's riding the bike. So, like, when all these people say India is crazy, their love for Goan's love for football and all that, like, that's like tourists that's, and that's things, like, they always. would uh, pick up on it and things. So, I mean, so it, it, I mean, if you're talking about at the highest level, is one bit, but you have to put in the time. So, like, for example, um, uh, Vasco Sports Club, it was head coaching under 14, under 16, under 18, under 20 and the Chogley College uh, girls team and men's team within like let's say you'd clock in about uh, 3 to 4 hours of, uh, sorry, uh, more than 10 hours of coaching every 2 days because you have to just go from one age group to another. So he does the warm up, I come and join and I do the warm up, he comes in and uh, joins the things in different parts of the pitch and just two of us sort of handling that uh, volume of players. So, I mean, uh, the whole glamour part of it, I, I knew from the first job actually, the one in uh, with uh, Mahogany, that it's not going to be from like, let's say two years over here and then uh, maybe uh, West Ham or uh, Liverpool is going to come calling. With, with the sexy suit. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, just because all the track suits now, I mean, yeah. um, all of that. So, uh, the reality is that you have to, I mean, it's, it's not easy at all. It's going to get even more competitive now because you have more people getting licenses than ever before. So when I'd done my licenses in India, uh, at the time you had to have been an ex-player who played in the Santosh Trophy or yeah. NFL. Otherwise, you don't get a place in your D license even. So I had to go across to Singapore to complete a whole bulk of it. So my sister was working there as a chef. Fortunately, it, uh, paid the fees and whatever emails and all of that to just uh, get access to training courses. It uh, counted a lot. And we're talking about uh, reality at the senior level as well. I mean, uh, it's great. Like we have these sound bites. We uh, get a little bit of attention when we play important tournaments like the qualifiers and Durand Cup. Uh, it looks all good and things, but uh, I've been very fortunate one to have great people around me. Gurbangi Singh, who's amongst the most uh, cap players uh, in Indian football, uh, I mean, has been among the more important players to come through. And then Chelston, again, with his strength and conditioning background, become very important to have good people around you and then fight for them, as in it's not really getting... Uh, 
um, just getting your contract sorted out and things. So, I mean, the struggle initially was to sort of get people around you and many people think that they can go it alone. That is, I don't need these experts behind me. I know enough about conditioning. I know enough about uh, what it takes to manage a dressing room and uh, maybe uh, this whole uh, lack of self-awareness and then this expectation that is going to click tomorrow. I'm going to get that big contract tomorrow. I mean, like I've uh, struggled over here. So uh, the, a big mistake or let's just be a bit of advice is your, the amount of time you put in, the amount of, uh, let's say, effort you put in has got absolutely no relation with how much the third person watching you values it. The minute you start to feel that I've done so much XYZ, this is just on the corner, people are going to start appreciating me. It's, it very rarely is the case. The minute you feel that there are so many eyeballs on you, people are going to tune in and listen to me and uh, you start to post your newspaper cutouts on uh, social media thinking like people will notice it very rarely works that way. Because it is intensely political, uh, securing a job anywhere. I mean, like forget about Indian football, uh, anywhere that happens. And then you need to prove your competency. So let's just say the entrance skills, as long as you're working at the lower levels, be very, very diligent about, uh, let's say, getting your fundamentals and basics in place. I mean, uh, don't go into like, uh, let's say, elaborate and extensive uh, understanding of tactics and training sessions, thinking that uh, what's happening on YouTube is going to like sort of uh, unfold tomorrow and that's going to defy your coaching success. So, I mean, uh, the time and, uh, let's say, self-awareness that you need to build before the big job comes is probably what's going to dictate what keeps you there. So even at what I mean, even I League level is not as glamorous as uh, people think it is. I mean, it's your the cameras that make make you look good on the sideline when you're screaming and things. But let's just say ground realities of how many clubs have their own training facilities, how many times you have to show up there and somebody else is training there already. Many times you have to uh, fight with clubs for uh, basic things like cones, markers, balls. Not saying it's happened in the recent past, but in the initial jobs, those are the struggles that uh, genuinely sort of uh, genuinely sort of uh, faced us. So um, I mean, to I mean. It, like we keep saying like don't kill the dream don't kill the dream and things but again we need to highlight the realities of the job as well i mean at the elite youth level regardless of what the organization is you need to be accountable for the time that you're putting into the job and minute you deliver results for whatever it, uh, reason it may be let's say it's uh, developing good players uh, delivering results from the points table the sort of football that you play looks good need to sort of keep that closer to your heart because minute you start attributing too much of uh, emotion or expectations to what you're producing and you see that uh, maybe your boss your uh, the person that you're pitching the job to they don't see any value in it then that's the first point where you start to fall out of love with the profession itself so um, having these things in place your ideals your, the intent with which uh, why you've started on the coaching journey you need to sort of uh, keep that to yourself and let other people talk about you rather than uh, maybe uh, sort of highlighting and expecting people to notice you because it's unless you're at a very very high level working with high profile players it gets really difficult to uh, get noticed correct correct and one of one of the points you said was the exact same thing that our first guest on the podcast ariel jacobs who was uh Anderlecht's manager for for a few years in uh, in the late 2000s he mentioned this that um again it's it's when you're winning you know everything is is amazing and and but that's the point where you need to be like super careful and and super um, alert that things could go wrong as well and and you know that's i think the top managers know uh, that moment and how to manage that uh, but you know speaking of your coaching journey uh, i'm sure there have been disappointments it's again like talent development even coach development is not linear it's it's, it's up and down um, you know so what has been your toughest moment as a coach, uh, you know, where you, you know, you just didn't, you didn't feel good about it. And, and how did you overcome that? 
one part is that we hold the whole uh, let's say the playing style and playing model really dear to us as in uh, the performances that come up uh, so this whole uh, recent uh, qualifiers bit uh, with fcbu that was a big point of disappointment because we had four games to sort ourselves out which reduced to three and uh, if you look at the stats or uh, let's just say what we uh, built our entire football around final third entries uh, shortest distance between the assist as in uh, getting a, a quick tight uh, game in the final third uh, chance production high quality chance production all of that i mean like we were hitting those boxes like crazy and at the end of it like we um, i mean we cost us points as well because i mean what's the point of playing well if you don't get the results and uh, that sort of self realization uh, came in and obviously people uh, i mean you get calls and uh, people start start to maybe try and uh, find you in a better uh, uh, place of mind and things but like i said um, when you see the process uh, be as successful in terms of let's say the process itself but the results really don't attribute uh, towards the end product that's when you start to feel like i mean that was like a super tough moment to really uh, get out of and uh, maybe they came to a point where we thought okay let's be a lot more pragmatic let's start parking the bus and x y and z but then i mean you start to reflect again that's not that's not what's going to dictate our success let's say 10 years from now so maybe the failure that we faced over here let's be honest about it certain things did break down let's say on the relationship front uh, on the point of let's say tactical management of things the talent management of things in those uh, three games that we played but we can't really let those three games defy us also and um, as in all uh, the world's over now and then there's nothing to uh, sort of work towards and things so the, yeah the the losing part of any i mean like even draws feel like a loss to us and things and it's a emotional uh, uh, has a big emotional bearing as in no matter what the management also tells you at times that roads totally fine uh, we want you to focus on uh, getting the process right and uh, all of that regardless of what feedback or security you've got Uh, it's uh, i mean you can't uh, you can't tolerate losing i mean <clears throat> it's uh, a really difficult dynamic to again using the word dynamic <laughs> but uh, really difficult mental uh, process to sort of come out of and bounce back again especially when it's just three games on the line in a league format i think uh, we can find that balance that is going from game to game and uh, adjusting to the opponents a lot more but uh, tournament mentality again it sort of uh, shapes you and i think that whole tournament but really did a lot for us in uh, reflecting on our own practices and uh, development so let's say now you get another opportunity with a club that's in a similar situation qualifiers tournament environment how are we going to approach this differently is there is there anything that you've already uh, planned out that this is what i'm going to do different of course the environment will be completely different players will be different but just from you said your philosophy will stay with you dear to your heart throughout so that's going to remain uh, remain consistent but what different are you going to do uh see like i mean uh, we didn't uh, we weren't successful in the first uh, qualifiers nor in the second and we thought we did our homework so i had studied the entire i league second division from the point of view of uh, let's say 7 8 seasons before the first campaign that we had in 2020 that is what uh, what were the team compositions where were the players coming from uh, average uh, squad size what sort of uh, what's it called congestion the, that were faced and uh, we did well the very first time and it was a proper league setup uh, when we were in the same group as fc goa ara uh, kerala uh, kerala fc uh, kerala blaster reserves and things so that campaign was quite steady and by far in terms of the economics of it that was the most uh, let's say uh, pocket friendly squad that we had yeah but when it, and that was a league format minute it came to a tournament format then you start to jitter a bit and then you you i mean every decision starts to uh, question you right okay this play is available let's get him because if you don't get him somebody else gets him then we lose 
all of that so i mean you're dealing with a totally different uh, dynamic as you mentioned that totally different uh, context and things we have to measure up everything and we've done our due diligence in terms of uh, breaking down every game giving uh, really detailed reports back to the management from the football perspective of things at least that's one thing that we pride ourselves on that we don't really hide behind anything or sugarcoat anything if we fail we fail and we give the reason for it as in this is exactly what has happened uh, and uh, the management was kind enough to give us access to instat as well so phase by phase uh, we could break it down and stuff but like i said uh, new club depending on the budget depending on their ambition depending on what the tournament format is if we have to bring it back uh, i think we need to keep the main thing the main thing that is to win that is to qualify and then whatever let's say it, uh, context it survives and we need to find the best possible solution to do it and with the game plan that we have in mind that is playing good uh, attacking uh, brand of football with high energy um regardless of the weather and things so i mean that's a big uh, part of it that we don't make excuses people buy in a lot and this again thanks to the strength of staff so one is take my people along uh, take the game model along work with the dynamics and context with which the competition will unfold and deliver success as in win so yeah nice i mean when when the coaches at dpdl who are working with the under 8s the under 10s the under 12s when they listen to this i think they should uh start to because these are these are insights we we don't hear about i mean we obviously we don't know about this and through this platform uh, some of them will understand the reality of of your job so richard when we speak about the coaches working at the grassroots level uh, these kind of in- insights will be very helpful for them as they prepare uh, you know for their matches for their training sessions uh, of course the environments are very different the pressures are very different if if you as a first team coach have pressure of results even these guys have pressure of results but for different reasons it it could be because the academy business is being impacted uh, you know parents are not happy uh, everyone loves to win like you said and and lose uh, and and hates to lose so uh, overall for for grassroots coaches right the ones who are just starting off their career uh, working with 8 year olds 6 year olds 10 year olds uh, how do you uh, you know how what kind of guidance would you give them to prepare uh, you know for for a week for example uh, you know take it week on week like you said uh, in in at the grassroots level what are the key qualities that they should be developing one in themselves and two looking to develop in their players at that age i think big part of it if you're uh, coming at it from the point of view of let's say the, the balancing the whole winning dynamic as well i feel the more time you invest in getting to know your players these kids i mean 7 8 9 year olds uh, finding out what's happening with them uh, away from football uh, getting to know their parents a bit at least understanding what their expectations are um, that way you can temper your uh, communication in terms of how much you value winning in uh, relation to how the kids will take it so there's ways ways of managing your communication based on how well you know your player pool right so uh, i think uh, yeah as you mentioned maybe the business takes a hit and things and 100% parents want a ambition coach sorry ambitious coach uh, guiding their uh, kids on uh, match day a uh, minute they start to see that they don't care then they might look for a new coach or a new academy so that balance is quite delicate and i guess it's there all over the world uh, i think culturally the coaches need to find a place where uh, they can grow into uh, let's just say they have to assess where which sort of jobs they are walking into and if they don't have a choice then uh, control the interaction in terms of uh, are you still demanding winning in a way in which uh, uh, players are uh, 
committed to the task of improving so that they can inf influence the results next week. So how you sell the training process, how you sell the, uh, the whole experience in terms of competing and engaging in training, I think that makes a big factor. So you negate the relationship side of it, both from, let's say, uh, upwards in terms of the management that you report to, the parents that, you're, uh, that are going to be on the sidelines on match day and the kids that, I mean, that makes up, let's say, 95% of the interaction. Uh, that factor needs to be invested a lot. I mean, if you're talking about just in the inculcating values in the kids, what sort of uh, education can you give these kids away from the football uh, side of things? Uh, there again, you need to figure out what exactly uh, can you control, what exactly can you foresee. So punctuality, uh, uh, greeting each other, I mean, just basic uh, life skills that you can uh, demand from these players, uh, tucking your t-shirt in, if that's not a big part of it, then at least certain th uh, terms in terms of having some protocol, some ethics, some uh, set of uh, cultural values that you can inculcate and uh, represent just the way in which you uh, present yourself. And um, I think a lot of times we keep talking about uh, coaches being reflective, having feedback and stuff. But if there's no framework for it, if it is your whole uh, reflective process is based on the results, what's, ha what's happened on match day and it's not really centered around anything. I mean, you don't have anything defined. Why am I in this? Uh, what exactly are the values that I represent? Are those being shown? Uh, what sort of football do I want these kids to play? Are those being shown? minute you don't have a framework of reference and you make the results uh, just the be all and end all in terms of, let's say, reflection and feedback, uh, then it starts to corrupt your whole, uh, let's say, engagement with the kids, uh, with the league, with the team, with the parents. Uh, you start to take things a lot more personally. So I think just from the perspective of uh, being uh, self-aware in terms of why exactly are you there, having it can just be one piece of paper also, but you need to have a framework for, let's say, what what dictates your interaction with the environment that you're in. Right, right. One thing that I take from this is the the values bit that you touched upon. I think even as as a league organizer, as as a as someone who's uh, organizing matches, I think having, um, you know having certain values inculcated at this age because I do see, for example, if, if a child falls down and I see the opponent, uh, you know, picking them up again, that, that itself is, is, is a positive, you know, to, to see that. Um, if you see kids shaking hands at the end of the game, irrespective of the result, irrespective of parents fighting on, on the outside, but the kids doing it, that, that's again a positive. I think even as a league, I take this as a learning that, you know, we can implement certain values, uh, value system in place uh, for the league itself. Uh, which which we're trying to promote that's 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 very interesting um and you know we were we were talking about those uh you know coaches and and you you have actually worked some with some of the players who today are in the ISL in the I league uh, playing at the top level you actually worked with them at TFA and uh, at at BFC as well when you were head of youth uh, there so you know how while the struggles at the first team were, were different, what were your struggles like with, with these, uh, uh, you know, the younger players? You know, how did you approach them? Was there a difference in the way you, you managed the, the two? I think the journey went from uh, Madras with uh, Mahogany, where you had these recreational pain play players. And I'd gone across to Vasco Sports Club, where you had extremely talented kids, but maybe not with that level of ambition. I mean, kids who could run all day. I mean, great expression on the ball. Great first touch and uh, good game understanding. I mean, we'd got them from uh, Chevron, who's a great scout in uh, Goa, has a has his uh, sort of sight on all the upcoming talent and things. So we got a lot of them. But again, in terms of it was constantly us meeting them halfway, pull, pulling them along. But at TFA, the dynamic changed completely. I mean, just the, let's say, the ferocity of uh, ambition and uh, grit that these uh, guys had, especially uh, people like Udanta, Vineet, uh, Vineet Rai and uh, Narayan Das, 
you have to drag them off the training pitch and we used to train uh, two times a day but guaranteed i mean because you had to take turns having a bath take turns with uh, breakfast and things usually it, it came in uh, batches these guys were the last one off the pitch i'm not wasting the time at all like uh, it would be uh, <clears throat> uh, vinith staying in center of the pitch pinging a ball to narayan on the left and udanta on the right each of them going in and crossing i mean they made up their own drills sometimes they would uh, seek us out and ask us like what exactly can we do uh, these guys waking up at 4 in the morning i mean i used to have them up at 5 uh, and thing but on days off because uh, certain elements uh, came into the academy and said you should only be training 2 hours a day and things and uh, these guys found ways around it so, so suddenly at 2 in the morning you're seeing some of them in the gym uh, you're seeing them uh, training till uh, 12 in the night uh, bilal khan would keep the entire academy up just hitting the ball against the wall and uh, practicing his uh, grip so i mean uh, if you talk uh, just in terms of the different uh, players that came in yeah i mean that was a huge contrast in uh, from uh, different clubs at bfc we had a very different uh, set of players who went back home to their parents and some of them are quite uh, prominent so i mean uh, long story short is that uh, don't come in the way of talent especially when it's uh, screaming for more attention screaming for more time to maybe improve themselves and obviously you should advise them that maybe overtraining and all these factors uh, can kick in and will be a detriment a uh, few years down the line but the let's say the the evidence for hard work evidence for dedication evidence for just sort of grinding it out getting those uh, as in it's far more than having a laid back approach and waiting for things to happen i mean there's heavy evidence for guys sort of taking the bull by its horns in terms of their own uh, development and putting in the hours over and above whatever we feel our uh, coaching influence can bring through yeah. you know with that i think it's it's sheer persistence that's that's what i take from this and that's what players who are listening in today the younger ones uh, you know listening into this podcast should take away as well uh, you know the, the these kind of stories of course once again never heard of uh, you know players training at 2 in the night just to uh, make up the hours make up the hours you know um, but yeah uh with that richard i think i want to thank you for your time uh, i know you've skipped your gym session today for us um uh, and of course if in in the last podcast with noshad musa if we if we moved furniture around yeah, i think yeah, yours we've given you a different uh, perspective to your own house might just uh, go back to how it was <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, so thank you thank you sure, so much for your for time bye guys thank you and uh, see you next time